That leads us to part three of our sermon series that we're in right now called Experience Christmas. Experience Christmas. I'm going to take a moment. I want to pray for us. I want to get our hearts ready, and we're going to dive in to God's word on this third installment of Experience Christmas. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to open your word, I pray that our hearts would be settled in you. I pray that any distraction, uh, outside external distraction or internal distraction, would be resolved and set aside until we have an opportunity to just spend time in your presence, spend time in your grace, spend time in your word. Reach into our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the strength of your word and transform us into the men and the women that you've called us to be. Let us be more and more like Jesus through the power of your spirit and through the strength of your word. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I want to start with a question this morning. And the question is this. How many of you have ever noticed that two people can hear the same statement and have very different reactions? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So like in our house, if we get a flyer in the mail that says, Macy's is having an amazing year-end sale. My wife and I will both see the same statement, but we'll have very different reactions. She'll be elated. I'll be like trying to lock down the the, the budget. I'll be trying to lock down the checking account. We just have different reactions. Um, I'll give you a couple more examples. What if you heard the phrase today, honey, we're pregnant? Some of you would be elated. Some of you would be very surprised. Very surprised. Uh, some of you might feel very, very nervous about that statement. Same word, same statement, but different people are going to have different reactions. I'll give you one more as an example. What if somebody said to you today, honey, my mother is coming for an extended visit? Now, just for the record, I would be elated. Amen. My mother-in-law watches this sermon online from California. I love you so much. Um, Anytime, Rita. Uh, But, you know, you might have different reactions depending on the nature of the relationship and so forth. So the announcement of Christmas by the angels was supposed to be an announcement that would bring universal delight. It It was a statement that was designed to bring joy to everybody who heard it. But not everybody who heard the statement received it with joy the statement was pretty simple by the angels in luke chapter 2 it said this uh the angel said i bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people the statement was actually designed to bring great joy for everyone to be delighted by this statement and the reason they would be delighted is because the statement was this today luke 2 11 in the town of david a savior A Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. The reason that is exciting, the reason that is delightful, is because when the Savior comes, that means the world gets set right. That means tyrants get thrown out. That means oppression ceases. That means justice prevails. That means the Messiah is coming to bring things right. And when you ask yourself, uh, who wouldn't, you got to ask yourself, who would not be delighted by that statement? Like, can you imagine a world where justice reigns supreme? Where there's no crime, there's no poverty, there's no hatred, there's no animosity, there's no, there's no racism, there's no 
uh, there's no hate between people. Can you just imagine where there's no sin, there's no, there's no greed, there's no hunger. There's, can you just imagine like the world being set right? It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is saying that, that, that he's coming to do, redeem and restore the world. And so when you hear the statement, you would think that it would be received with universal delight, with universal joy. But it wasn't received that way by at least one person. His name was Herod. Herod the Great, they call him. We won't necessarily call him so great, but that's how he is known. Herod, the king, at the time of the announcement, was deeply disturbed by this statement. And the reason is, King Herod had fought and clawed and murdered and plotted his way to his position. And when he heard that there was a king being born, This was a severe disruption to his plan and to his purpose. You got to understand the background of King Herod. He wasn't born a king. He wasn't anointed a king by God. He actually received his position as king by the Roman Senate. His father was really good friends with a guy named Julius Caesar, who was just a little bit influential during that time. And Herod, as a young man, had plotted and schemed and finally got his way to where he was standing in front of the Roman Senate in 40 B.C. And the Roman Senate said, okay, we're going to name you king of the Jews. That's going to be your title. And we're going to send you back to Jerusalem where you will rule and reign as king of the Jews. So Herod goes back to Jerusalem. He, He kills all of his political enemies. He takes out anybody who opposes him. He, he, he just clears the board. And then in an, in an effort to find some sense of legitimacy, or at least to make people think that he was legit, he married a young woman named Mary Amni. And she was very young. She was a, a, a princess of the Hasmonean dynasty, a royal Jewish lineage. And he thought, well, if I marry this young woman, then maybe people will see me as some sort of legitimate person and and actually the the people in jerusalem began to open up a little bit to herod because they they appreciated her family they loved the hasmonean family they loved that dynasty so he saw oh well this is working so then what herod did was he he took her little brother a guy named aristobulus who was 17 years old and he said this is gonna this is gonna be great the people are gonna love this and he took aristobulus and he made him the chief priest of all israel aristobulus 17 year old boy made him the chief priest. And the, and the people were so happy. They were elated. In fact, when Aristobulus came out uh, to, to do the chiefly duties, uh, the, the crowds in Jerusalem came out and they cheered him and they loved him so much. But guess what? When you're holding on, when you're grasping on to power, when you're trying to protect your own position, you, you start to get a little paranoid. And Herod got worried. Herod got, got paranoid. And so this is a terrifying story about Herod. I encourage you to go do your own study on this. Herod took 17-year-old Aristobulus, his wife's little brother, took him down to the palace in Jericho where he had a a luxury summer resort. And he invited everybody out and they're all drinking and they're all partying. It's a great party and they're having a great time. And he told some of his henchmen, take Aristobulus into the pool and take him under. So Aristobulus, 17-year-old chief priest of Jerusalem, was drowned in in Herod's pool that day, executed by Herod. Now, it gets worse. It gets worse before it gets better. Herod's wife, Mary Omni, was so upset by this. Of course, she spoke out against Herod, and she said, well, you know, I can't believe that you did did this. And and she 
in his mind, was a threat to his authority. And so he had Mariamne executed. And then shortly after that, he had her mother executed. Then he murdered his sister Salome's husband, Joseph. Then he had his wife's grandfather executed. Then he executed his brother-in-law, Castabar. Then he suspected his son, Alexandros, of trying to usurp his authority and had him executed. Then another one of his sons, who was also named Aristobulus. Then another son that he, uh, that he thought was trying to usurp the throne, named Antipater, had him executed. His reputation as a cold-blooded killer became so prominent throughout the, reg- the region uh, that Caesar once said of Herod, he said, I would rather be his pig than his son. I would rather be his pig than his son. The reason he said that is because Herod would pretend to put on this religious Jewish traditional uh, um, you know, observance. And so he would never kill a pig because he wouldn't eat pork and that's against the Roman law. But he would kill his own son. Herod said, I, I would rather be his pig than his son. That's Herod. Herod is a man totally obsessed with maintaining power, totally fixated and obsessed with keeping control over his own life, a paranoid megalomaniac, just an absolute insane person. So imagine his reaction when three magi come from the east, three wise men from a faraway country, and come to Jerusalem, and they start asking this question. Hey, everybody, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Imagine Herod's reaction when he hears this. This is a man who's completely obsessed with maintaining power, with grasping and controlling uh, everybody around him. And here comes the people saying, hey, we, we heard that the king of the Jews was being born this, at this time. The scripture tells us how he reacted. Verse 3, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. <laughs> he was not happy. And all Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed because he knew that he was not a legitimate king. And that perhaps there was a legitimate king being born. His people were disturbed because they knew that when Herod was upset, heads were going to roll. It wasn't going to be good for anybody. It was going to get bad. And what's fascinating is that this same information, the king of the Jews is being born, is the same information that everybody receives, but different people reacted to it in different ways. The Magi were delighted. Herod was disturbed. The Magi were filled with adoration. Herod and his people were filled with agitation. They both received news that disrupted their normal life, that disrupted their normal plans, that disrupted the way that they were moving through life. But one group reacted with delight, and the other group was deeply disturbed. If you're taking notes, just write this down. Disruption reveals devotion. Disruption reveals devotion. Devotion. What I mean by that is when God intervenes in your life, when God interrupts your plans, it reveals the orientation of your heart. You either are delighted to say, thank you, God, for changing and transforming what was happening in my life and moving me in a path that you want me to go. Or if your heart is oriented towards yourself, you say, I don't want to be I don't want that to happen in my life. God, I don't want any of what you're doing right now. I'm going to reject that. I'm going to push away from that. God's interruptions always expose the orientation of our hearts. God's disruptions always reveal our devotion, meaning who are we devoted to? What are we devoted to? Are we devoted to the Savior and his purpose? Are we devoted to ourselves and our own plan? 
Sometimes, each of us sometimes finds ourselves being a little bit like Herod. All of us have a little bit of the Magi in us and a little bit of Herod in us. All of us sometimes have a, a pure heart, a motive towards the things of God. God, do whatever you will with me. Do whatever you want with me. I, I'm here for you. I'll be used by you to, to take me where you want me to go. Other times, our hearts are inward focused, and we start to turn towards ourselves and say, I want things to go my way, God. Not thy will, but my will be done. Right? Sometimes we, we focus on our, our, our own desires, our own passions, our own wants, to the detriment of God's plan and desire and purpose for our life. So the title of my sermon, the title of my sermon today is, How to Know If You're Being a Herod. How to know. Now, this is for you and me. This is not for your spouse. Don't forward this sermon and go, dude, you need to hear this one, right? This one's for all of us. How do we know if we're being inherited? I'm going to give you over the next few minutes, I'm going to give you four questions that you can ask yourself this Christmas season to figure out whether you are being a Herod. Here's the first question. When God disrupts my plans, am I disturbed or am I delighted? When God disrupts my plans, am I disturbed or am I delighted? Has anybody ever seen the show uh, Intervention? Anybody ever seen that show on A&E? So there's a show on A&E called Intervention. The, sh the show is, is like a documentary style show where they follow somebody who's got an addiction to drugs or alcohol or, or some deep dependency on, on some, uh, something, some substance. And what they do is they follow this person around and you can start to see that this individual's life is unraveling, falling apart, absolutely going off the rails, right? And then what happens is there's an intervention counselor that meets together with the, with the family and friends and they get together and they say, we're going to bring this, young, this person, often a young person, but we're going to bring this person into, into this intervention. We're going to host an intervention and we're going to bring this person into it because we see that they're desire to control their own life is leading them to absolute self-destruction. And so they'll go out and uh, they'll, 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 they'll get the person that's addicted and they won't tell them where they're going, but they'll bring them into a room. And in that room is their, often their mom, their dad, their brothers, their sisters, their cousins, their aunts, their uncles. Everybody's gathered around their friends, sometimes their boss, sometimes their colleagues. And they're all there to say, hey, we love you. We care about you. We see that your life is going down a horrible path, and we want to help transform the trajectory of your life. We want to help you save yourself because you're absolutely just destroying your life right now. And what happens is interesting because every show climaxes at this one moment where you see the reaction of the person who's received this interruption, this disruption to their life. Now, some people will say, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like, my life is going off the rails. I'm in desperate need. I need your help. And they will, they will be overwhelmed with gratitude and relief. And they'll go into a drug or alcohol rehabilitation, and they'll, and they'll start to work on getting their life together. But other people are not ready to give up control. Other people want to hold on to the decisions that they made and the little life that they built for themselves, even though it's destroying themselves. And they respond with vitriol and anger. They, come, they just fight back. They're all receiving the same information, which is, we're here to help you. We want to see you flourish. We want to see you grow. But they respond in different ways. Their reaction is simply a reflection of the orientation of their heart. When God interrupts our plans, when God says, hey, I want to take you on a path that you didn't know you were going to go down. 
I want to I intervene in your life and take you somewhere where you weren't planning to go. I want to disrupt your patterns of behavior and thought, your attitudes, your desires and your passions. I want to interrupt that and bring you a different path. How do we react? Do we react with delight or are we disturbed? Now, what's interesting is that Herod had an opportunity to do something that would be so phenomenal, phenomenally wonderful and great for him. He had an opportunity to usher in the actual true Messiah, the Savior. The real, the real Messiah was being born just a few miles away from him. He had an opportunity, if he wanted to curry favor with the local people, imagine how much people would have loved him if he would have actually helped to usher in the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Imagine. But he couldn't do it because his heart was not for the Savior. His heart was for himself. And so the scripture says that he pulled together all the chief priests, all the rabbis, all the leaders and, and, and judges, and he brought them together in verse uh, uh, four of Matthew 2, it says this, when he had called all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, they replied, in Judea. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He went, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so so that I, too, may go and worship him. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out he wasn't about to go worship Jesus. He, want, he, want, he wasn't, he wasn't going to go try and bow his knee before. He was about to take him out, just like he'd taken out anybody else who was a threat to his throne. Right? And what's fascinating is he's using the word of God to do it. He's using the word of God to advance his purpose, not God's purpose. He, he, he brought in the rabbis and the chief priests and the scholars to say, what does the scripture say? Where does the scripture say the Messiah is going to be born? Not so that he could go and worship the Messiah, so that he could kill the Messiah. He could execute the Messiah. Here's how we know if we're being a Herod. Are you ready? Am I using God or is God using me? Just a question we can ask ourselves. And, and are my prayers about my gain or his glory? Am I trying to get God on my side or am I trying to get on God's side? Am I more interested in my plans or his purpose? Am I praying my will be done or thy will be done? Am, am I trying to use God to advance my purpose or am I allowing God to use me to advance his purpose? There's a, there's a great story. I talked about the story uh, a couple weeks ago about a guy named Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer. Uh, lived in Samaria years after, after, uh, after the birth of Jesus. In fact, by the time we get to his story, Jesus had lived, died, was buried, rose again, and, and ascended into heaven and, and was pouring out his spirit upon all people. And there's this great story about Simon. Simon the sorcerer uh, lived in Samaria, and he was following Philip around. He had become a follower of Jesus. And uh, he, he was following Philip, and he was just amazed by what was happening. So many people were coming to God and becoming followers of Jesus. And then Peter and John were sent up to Samaria to pray for people, and they were going up to Samaria, and they were laying hands on people, and, and people were having a profound experience and, 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 and turning their hearts and lives towards Jesus. And Simon saw this, and I'll read you what happened in Acts chapter 8. It's interesting. He said, when Simon, Scripture says, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was being given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He said, give me this power too, so that anyone I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was like, I want to use God for my purpose. 
I want to advance my career through the use of God's word and through the use of his power. But Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought the gift of God could be obtained with money. You have no part or share in this matter, Peter said, because your heart is not right before God. The orientation of your heart is focused towards self, not towards the Savior. Therefore, he said, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. What he's saying is, look, your heart, the orientation of your heart is what matters. Is your heart turned towards God and the things of God? Are you actually pursuing what God wants? And are you trying to pursue his purpose? Or are you fixated and focused on yourself? Let me just free somebody this Christmas. Don't make this Christmas about you. I'm just going to free you of all the struggle, pain, anxiety. Because when, when, when Christmas is about you, in fact, when your life is about you, there's almost no distinction between thinking about yourself and being miserable. There's just like almost no distinction. When we are focused on ourselves, we create a living hell for ourselves. But when we attach ourselves to something bigger, something greater, something more powerful, something transcendent, our life opens up and we start heading in a direction that brings delight to our soul and joy to everybody around us. Let's make this Christmas, somebody, not about us. God will use you for his purpose when you stop trying to use God for your purpose. What I love about Christmas, and this is so important, it, it took me years to get this. Christmas is about God coming to earth and inviting us to be a part of his great restoration plan. He came to earth to repair and restore and renew the earth. And Christmas is our opportunity to bow our knee and say, we want to participate in your mission. It's not about us. It's not about gaining. It's not about grasping. It's about bowing our knee and saying, God, we want to follow you. Matthew 2, 9 says this. After the Magi heard the king, they went on their way and the star... When they had seen it, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Some were disturbed, some were delighted. They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and and myrrh. Question number three, to figure out if you're being a Herod this Christmas, am I focused on giving or grasping? (laughs) I could tell by the way that the the mature saints of God groan when I say that they know what I'm talking about, right? This 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 is at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. At the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it's sacrifice, it's taking up your cross. It's pouring out your life. It's being attached to something bigger than you. It's, it's not about us. It's not about gaining. It's not about grasping. It's not about controlling. It's not about protecting. It's about pouring out. It's about asking myself, am I a consumer or am I a contributor in the kingdom of God? For the last few weeks, I've been announcing that, that we would be wrapping up our Beyond Initiative. And I, I'm going to give a final, final announcement in January But I just want to say, church, this congregation's heart is focused on giving, not grasping. This congregation's heart has been so generous and open over the last two years. We launched this generosity initiative two years ago called Beyond. 
our goal as a as a church family we we spent time with our trustees and our and our leaders and with the congregation we had dinners we talked we worked for two years to kind of get our 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 heads around this and we had a goal to raise five million dollars over two years so that we could purchase this building the tivoli building that that i'm in right now that we're in to pay down the mortgage on our shaw campus to hire staff to increase our giving to missions and outreach partners and to expand our ministries that that was our goal five million dollars in a few moments today, I'm going to invite those of you who have been a part of that initiative to bring it across the line, to, to finish your, your giving through the uh, Beyond Initiative, through the pledge that, that you made. Many of us made pledges. If, if you were not here when we started it, then I will invite you to participate in it because everything that is given between now and the end of the year will go towards uh, the Beyond Initiative. And again, if you're a guest or visitor, your first time here, just enjoy this. Just watch and see what God has been doing through us. Um, I want you to take a look at a clip of a video that we made uh, two years ago, and then it's intercut with some, uh, some, um, some of the things that our church family had to say back then and some of the things that our, our church family had to say uh, recently about what it means to give and what this initiative has meant to them. Let's watch the video. Ten years ago, God put a burning desire in my soul to plant a church that reflected the deep spiritual unity that Jesus prayed for the night before he was crucified. When followers of Jesus, you and I, come together as brothers and sisters, as one family under God in Christ, when we come to love one another and care for each other, serve each other, honor one another, challenge one another, and encourage each other as a family, the world takes notice. That's the kind of church I wanted to plant. That's the kind of church my wife, Rebecca, and I wanted to belong to. That's the kind of church we wanted our kids to grow up in. And by God's grace, over the last 10 years, that's the kind of church we've become. It has become apparent to all of us that once again, God wants to do above and beyond all that we could have ever possibly imagined. We always wanted to be a part of a ministry where we imagined it look how heaven would look. All types of backgrounds, and we felt we felt like at home, not only in a place where we could be fed, but that we could also serve. Yeah, there's there's churches that just feel like home, and one family is that to us. I think we're growing, we're growing beyond our walls and sharing, you know, the word of God with the community, and that's what it's all about, spreading the gospel. I just felt the warmness of the church as soon as I walked in. It's a welcoming church. I mean, if, if I could just say one word, everybody's welcome here. When we first started, we were looking for a church that was in our community, and we never thought that we would find a family that made our community so much bigger. On Sunday mornings, we come down around nine o'clock and we set up and everything, and we get the one family church on, and they, uh, we look forward every Sunday to, to watching them. We are spreading the gospel beyond our walls. We're reaching the community, we're reaching the world. We want everybody to know who Jesus is. You know, giving is just such an incredible thing to do, to think about that you can participate with the God of this universe yeah. and that we can uh, return what He has given to us and He's going to use that and bring it all together and multiply it and send it out, you know, to win people to the Lord and, you know, to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. It's incredible that we can participate in that. So it's an honor, you know, to, uh, to give and to be generous. What I would say to people who are considering giving is pray. Ask for wisdom from the Lord. 
The other thing is, is just to consider that everything that we have is not our own. And to live your life with open hands. And I think giving and being generous definitely is a heart revelation because no one can teach you how to do it. Nobody can show you how to do it. But once you understand again what Jesus has done for us, it has to start like right in there. So you have to get that revelation. And once you get the revelation and catch the vision, hey, sky's the limit. If you're considering giving, just think that God did it first. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We can see where the potential is and where this church can go and the, the good that it can do for the members of the community. I'm excited to be a part of anything that is helping people, you know, because I got help. I can't wait for us to reach more people in this city um, with the message that one family can bring and, and the love of Jesus. We're sharing love and we're pointing people to Jesus. It's not because our hands are to the plow, but God is using it and yielding results in people's lives. And who wouldn't want to be a part of that? I can't wait to see what happens. Amen. Amen. Um, it has been extraordinary what has happened over the last two years. I don't know if you can see the subtitle, but um, the group, uh, they, they had some footage of our brothers that stepping into the light shelter uh, while watching the sermon there. Um, and, who, and they're doing that right now. Um, so so that, that was our, our goal and our plan over the last uh, two years. Um, I just want to tell you a few things that have happened over the last two years as a result of this initiative. Um, one is we purchased the Tivoli Theater. That happened. That actually happened. We hadn't done that yet. <laughs> um, something else that we had not planned to do, uh, we had meant to pay down the, the mortgage at our Shaw campus, but we didn't just pay it down. We completely paid it off. So the Shaw campus is completely debt-free. Um, we expanded the planned renovation of the Tivoli to include the restoration of the historic ceilings in the back of the theater, the construction of a beautiful cafe area, the installation of professional lighting, a permanent stage, which I'm grateful for because this used to be like temporary. Uh, there used to be like, what do they call Temporary risers that were sitting on concrete blocks for 12, 10 years. So it's nice to have a stage, a real stage on your foot. Um, uh, we restored the marquee new seating, uh, something we didn't plan to do, but we needed to do. We, ha we put all new HVAC units on this building. I don't know if you were here for that one Sunday in July when it was like, woof. Um, thank you, because we put five 12-ton units on the roof uh, of, this, of this building. Upgraded the bathroom, AV booth, state-of-the-art studio uh, upstairs where we can broadcast um, this message around the world. Um, and then what's coming is a prayer room. Uh, a volunteer room and some additional balcony seating area in the cafe area on the uh, on the south side. We also increased our staff with some truly, truly amazing team members. Uh, we launched an internship program, the Life and Faith for Young Adults. We expanded several of our ministries, including congregational care, production, hospitality, welcome, worship, life groups, one family kids, frontline safety. And, um, and One Family Youth. We expanded counseling offices at both campuses. We launched First Fridays at the Tivoli. 
this one gets to me. We nearly doubled. In fact, it'll probably be more than double when it's all said and done. Our missions and outreach giving. Uh, just massive amount of outreach happening here. Um, in addition to that, we, we took on the sponsorship of hundreds of kids in Ghana. That was not part of the plan, not part of the program. That's something that, that happened just right in the middle of it. Uh, supporting uh, these kids in Ghana with food, fresh water, and expanded educational opportunities. In addition to that, we ended up giving away an extra $75,000 to a group of uh, uh, to, a, to a group that is addressing housing issues in St. Louis, um, and that was in addition to our normal giving. And then we've experienced exponential growth in church membership, baptism, church attendance, both in person and online. Like God truly has done above and beyond anything that any of us were even asking or imagining. And many of you, many of us, were an integral part of that happening. Uh, and so if you have been a part of that, I just want to stop for a minute and say thank you so much. Thank you so much for your generosity, for your magnanimity, for your compassion, for your, your focus on the vision, for your desire to be a giver, not a grasper, uh, for pouring out to advance God's kingdom. Uh, if you still have not participated in this, you are invited to participate uh, if this is your church home. Um, we invite you to give on onefamilychurch.com slash give at the end of service. Uh, Jackson will come up and close us, and, um, and you can be a part. Anything that you give between now and the end of the year will go towards that initiative. Uh, and I, I can just tell you this. From personal experience and from all of my relationships and conversations with anybody who has grasped this principle, what Jesus said is true. It truly is more blessed to give than to receive. There, there is a great joy that comes along with the attachment of your soul to the vision of Christ's mission and to say, I want to be a part of that, bringing, bringing good to people, bringing glory to God through your service, through your generosity. Uh, we, our joy overflows when we become contributors instead of consumers. When, when Herod, I'm, gonna, I'm about to close. When Herod, uh, when Herod was, was invited to bow his knee, to pour out towards the kingdom. He didn't. He grasped. He grasped and held on and tried to maintain control. Historians tell us that in the final days of King Herod, his body was racked with fever. His skin, head to toe, was infected with boils, rashes, swelling. His body was raw and burning from maggot-infested gangrene. He got a horrible disease. He was unable to breathe. He experienced uncontrollable itching over every square inch of his body. He was doubled over in abdominal pain, writhing in delusional torment day and night. It became so unbearable for him that historians tell us that he, somebody left a fruit knife next to his bed and he tried to take his own life with a dull fruit knife. Uh, he, he was unsuccessful at that. In his very final days, during an excruciating death, he knew that nobody would mourn for him. There was no one to weep for the death of Herod. And so he rounded up 70 of the top elite people in Jerusalem. And he gave orders to his soldiers that went the moment of my death, I want you to execute these 70 people in my kingdom so that there will be weeping and wailing throughout Jerusalem. Thank God the soldiers refused to obey his order. They did not obey the order. His story is a story of darkness decadence and depravity because it was all about him 
He just kept creating a hell of his own making by turning inward towards the brokenness and depravity and lust and passion and desire of his own heart. The Magi did the exact opposite. They opened their lives. They came to find the king. They bowed before him. They worshiped him. They poured themselves out for this mission that was greater than them. When we attach our lives to something bigger than us, when we pour out our lives for something greater than us, when we pursue something transcendent, truly transcendent, when we orient our hearts towards the Savior and not towards ourselves, when we focus our lives on giving, not grasping, that's when we begin to experience true peace, true joy, and true delight. The Magi show us the way. They followed the star. They sought the Savior. They worshiped the King. They brought their gifts. They focused on selfless generosity rather than on selfish gain. Church, I want to encourage us to experience Christmas, this Christmas, in a way that brings true joy, true peace, true delight. Let us be generous as a church with our time. Let us be generous with our resources. Let us be generous with our families, with our skills, with our talents, with our abilities. Let us pour our lives out for the advancement of God's kingdom and for the betterment of all people. The story ends like this. Verse 19, Matthew 2. After Herod died, his life is over. All of the great things that he did, he was a builder, he was an architect, he was absolutely a genius in many ways. But he's known just for his tyranny. And finally he died. After he died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Thus establishing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So the last question and the final question and the sum up question that all of us need to ask ourselves this Christmas is who is the king of my heart? (laughs) Is it me or is it Christ? Am I going after him or am I going after me? Am I following the star or am I following myself? Am I pursuing the savior or am I preserving what's mine? I want us church as a church to experience the good news of Christmas. I want us to to experience the true peace, the true joy, the true delight of God. I want us to experience a brighter tomorrow. I want us to experience Jesus. That's what it means to experience Christmas. To experience the risen Savior in our life. To experience the joy of His salvation in our hearts. A Savior has come. So we must turn to Him. Pursuing divine truth over earthly gain. Pursuing a cause that is greater than us. Follow the shepherds. Follow the wise men. Follow the angel. Follow the star. Bow your knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For unto unto us this day, a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father, you're so good for sending your son to us. And our hearts are always wavering between becoming a Herod and becoming a Magi. Let us be wise men and women. 
Let us open our hearts and lives to you. Let us follow you. Let us pursue you. Let us turn all of our adoration towards you. Let us bow our knee before you. Let us be a part of your mission, your vision of restoring and repairing and reconciling the world to you through Jesus. Let us be a part of that. This Christmas, O oh Lord, turn our hearts to you. May you be the king of our heart, the king of our soul. May you be the true king of our life. We thank you. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.